When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Sturkers and Radar and Cut, our monthly podcast, as ever, brought to you by Ping. Buy your best, Ping. Get into it. <laughs> Brian, partners, they've got the lot. <laughs> we are ready for episode five. Quick reminder, thanks for listening so far. Check us out on social, Sturkers Radar on Twitter, Sturkers and Radar Pod on Instagram. Nice to be reconnected once again with the legend, the main man, Radar, who is fresh back from the United States for the Ryder Cup and just been at the Dunhill as well. It's been a busy stretch for you, Radar, and you're suffering a little bit with a sore throat, aren't you, I think? Yeah, I've got a cold in the States probably about the last two days. And I I honestly thought it was COVID. I, I, I really did. But I got back and I tested straight away. Then I had three more tests. And they assure me it isn't, but nice to be back. Really nice to be back in the UK and uh, sitting here with you, Sarah. What was I going to say to you, Sarah? How's the bump? How's the bump? How's my little bump? How's the bubba? The bump's good. He's growing. He's getting bigger. Just over six months now. And I hear that you have a little bit of baby news to share. Yeah, my daughter, Shannon, um, she has been, uh, she's been up to no good, I I, I think. (laughs) Um, So she's having, she's having a bubba. So I'm going to be a granddad, which is unbelievable. Bull news, but when she first told me, um, she just started calling me Pops, and I thought, what are you calling me Pops for? And uh, so there it is. I'm going to be a granddad, so there we go. All right, hey. she's, uh, she's March, so you are with your... Uh, I'm Jan 17th is my due date. Oh, fantastic. I'm, look, I'm so looking forward to that, Sarah. So when we go into the studio, you're going to have a little crib there, and the bub's going to be right there. He's going to... <laughs> just beside, just beside our chair, Nick. Out of vision, have the little bubs there. Are you offering for babysitting duties as well? Oh, I love kids. I really, I love kids. I wouldn't say I was the best dad. I don't think any professional golfer is the best dad because you don't seem to be ever there. But uh, I love children. I really, I really do. They're great until they get to, until they get to about seventeen. Exactly, and then you then you sort of think, what have I done? Yeah, no, I'm for you as well. That's brilliant news. Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. Now, listen, we're talking this episode. Obviously, all about the Ryder Cup. You were out there. So I'm going to start with, well, Radar's rants, I know, is you're going to link it to the Ryder Cup. But let's kick off. What, having been there, I guess, and obviously the, the aftermath and the press and media reaction, Radar's rants, what, what's kind of been frustrating you the last couple of weeks? Well, I think that, um, you know, straight away we kind of knew that Porter Harrington was going to uh, be in for it. And undeservedly so you know he, he did a fine job all the Ryder Cup players that I've spoken to they said he did everything right look the team wasn't good enough and that's my rant I think um, Harrington has been a champion in every walk of life um, three-time major champion two opens in a PGA he's done everything in our game and look it wasn't his fault and it was basically only the written press who had a crack and it's gone away, and, and rightly so. He didn't deserve that. He Look, it wasn't down to him. He tried very hard. Some of his four balls, you know, pairings, people are going, yeah, well, he could have done that. But, look, the American team could have played their players with each other and ones you wouldn't have even thought of because their team was so strong, so very strong. And, and there's nothing you can do about that. We needed luck. We had no – you guys had no followings. I didn't see too many English people there. I only saw Irish, and they were with um, Shane Lowry most days. 
you know, I don't think you had 1% of the crowd. And it's so very, it's like going to Manchester United, Old Trafford, if you're Scunthorpe, with no away followers. Mm-hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with Scunthorpe, but it's like, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, it's like that in a cup tie. And it was um, so very difficult. Well, next time around, it'll be, it'll, it'll be totally different, but let's get some new blood some new players in this team now. Let's not get back there and start speaking of the old suspects, the usual suspects. It's time to let them go. They've served you very well, but now it's time for the young hoy guards and the young, you know, young kids to, to bring this thing along now. Because it is interesting, you know, we were, I mean, I, I didn't travel due to, due to Bubba and obviously I was in, in the studio with Beef and Howler doing the brunch show and we talked a lot about this. I mean, it is cyclical, isn't it, Radar? You know, we have, we've been very good in the Ryder Cup for a long time now. We have this unbelievable team spirit. But as you said, a lot of our, I guess, stalwarts or main players, they're coming, they're at that stage in their career. At some point, the US team were going to turn the tide, weren't they? It was, we were going to see this flip and we we're probably going to see this US dominance. But what have, you, what have you seen with that? What did you see with the unity in that United States team? that perhaps has been lacking in recent Ryder Cups? And how similar was that, I guess, to the team spirit that we've seen from the European side for so long? Well, when I was over there for the playoffs, I went over there. My first one was New Jersey, Liberty National. And right from the get-go, I knew that this American team were making a lot of birdies. And it was going to be very difficult. And funnily enough, right at the same time, your Westwoods, your Fitzpatricks, your Tyrrell Hattons, your Fleetwoods, they weren't playing their best golf. And it just happens. They weren't in their best form. Nothing wrong with them. But, you know, that's what happens in professional golf. There are times when you don't play your best golf. You have a little spurt of a couple of months where you're just not on. You're not playing terrible, but you're not playing your best golf. And that all happened at the same time. For Europe, So they went into those matches with their team out of form a little bit. And, you know, I said Fitzpatrick as well. You know, so many of them were in trouble. And then I went to Baltimore the second week, the BMW, and th- they were shooting 27, 28 under par. You know, Cantlay and DeChambeau were in a playoff. And it was unbelievable. I, I, I just went, well, how the hell is Europe going to win this? And then I came back for the BMW PJ and went down to my local just here for a pint on the Sunday night before I went to the Ryder Cup. And they were all going, we're going to win the Ryder Cup. I said, no, you're not. I'm sorry, you aren't. I think um, if you were a betting man, I think giving Europe three points would have been a, a good bet. And, and they're all laughing at me. And, well, here we are. It was eight or seven or eight points. You know, that team with the Spieths, and you look at the, the Justin Thomases, you look at Cantley, you look at DeChambeau, you look at the whole team. Like, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's the Whistling Straits Globetrotters. I mean, <laughs> it, it is just the best team that's ever been assembled, Ryder Cup-wise. And, uh, you know, it's going to be the same next time, but you have them on your turf in Italy, um, that'll be different, but the same team will show up. I don't think it'll change them. And they left out Billy Horschel. Yeah. And they left out the young chap who's just won on, on tour and he, he, they thought he was going to get a pick. Sam Burns. Yeah. So they, they've left yeah. him. Could Europe have beat the second team? I think, yeah, no, I totally agree. And for me, the partnerships, I was saying this at the, at the Ryder Cup weekend, um, Radar, the partnerships that they have, I mean, I think historically... Tiger and Phil maybe been quite divisive in that team, you know, no Kucha, no Reed. And I think that, you know, to see DJ and, and Morikawa, Brooks Kepka and, and Daniel Berger, partnerships that just worked, whereas in the past they've kind of been trying to figure out who to pair their best players with. And there was just that comfortable factor with the partnerships and the pairings. And it was just so dangerous from, from our point of view. When you've got a champion golfer like Tiger Woods, Sarah, I'm not sure he's great for a team. His Ryder Cup record isn't awesome. Because he's so good and he's an individual player, you know, the rest of the team can be excused for going, well, look over there in the corner, we've got Tiger Woods. And you kind of think, oh, well, Tiger's going to bring us points. It doesn't work like that. Ryder Cups, you have to be all together. Where Brooks and Bryson, 
you know, they all looked happy mates and, uh, and, and uh, that all looked great. I thought we'd definitely see them play together. I think that would have been a shock for any team when they walked onto the first team, but it didn't happen. Um, but it was just simply a fantastic Ryder Cup. It's just a, a matter that the score was like that. You know, it was like the walk on Sunday on the back nine was, was very lonely. The Americans' crowds, they were very nice to them. They really were. Yeah, sure, they were a few had a few sherbets, and, but they weren't screaming abuse or anything like that. They were just giving it the USA, USA, because that's the only song they know. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, you know, they were very, very well behaved. A lot of people go, the booze on the first day. Yeah, didn't like the booze, but God, they could have been worse, couldn't they, Sarah? It could have been worse. And I thought they were very well behaved. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing I just want to, I mean, you, in terms of your radar's ramp, when we look at um, what stirred me, I think the only thing, and I'll get your opinion on this, the only thing that I found quite difficult to watch a couple of things from just a couple of the behavior point of view from the US team. I didn't like the Brooks Kepka incident where he talked to the two rules officials there. Obviously there was a route or there was something in his, in his swing path and he was trying to get that drop, wasn't he? Um, Kepka. And he asked the rules official wh- whether he'd seen him swing before. And the rules official said, yeah, I've seen you swing plenty of times. And I think the words were something along the lines of if I beep injure myself, it's on you. And I thought, I didn't think that was great. And I don't know what you thought about the chugging beers on the, uh, on the first tee. And I'm a big fan of Justin Thomas as a player and off course. I think he's matured a lot. I think he's a class guy. But I just felt the chugging beers on the first tee with Daniel Berger was a little bit premature. I thought it looked a little bit crass. Global audience Ryder Cup, it just didn't quite sit comfortably with me. And I know a few of the US journos, I know Beamer was annoyed about it. A few of the US journos have said the same. What was kind of the reaction out there? Because I just, it didn't sit comfortably with me. And also the Gimme Gate as well. We saw a couple of the US players moaning about having to, you know, put uh, two foot putts and it was inside the leather, expecting it to be gimmies and then chuntering when it, it wasn't given by the Europeans. So there's a few things from the Americans' behavior that I just wasn't a massive fan of. Yeah, I'm with you with the um, the gimme. Uh, you know, if you, if I don't, if you and I are playing for a Mars bar, Sarah, you know, and it's two feet and I don't give it to you, people shouldn't whinge about gimmies. You know, but, I mean, that's the game of golf. So that was childish. Yeah. I think the PGA Tour have lost their way somewhat in the players holding them to ransom. The yeah. the the I think the PGA Tour should be telling them more what to do. They should be holding them to rest. And listen, boys, we are the boss. The players over there have such a big say. They really do have such a big say. Too big a so, in my opinion. You know, there were a few, you know, with the, the swinging of the beer, yeah, not really happening. But that's how confident they were, even when the job wasn't done yet. You know, and JT, you know, we know he hasn't had his best season PR-wise, and he didn't really need to do that, did he? No, he didn't. I'm, I'm with you. Look, the press conference when they'd won, DJ, hilarious, all the celebrations, you know, Xander smoking, chuffing on his cigar. Great. Love all that. You've won the Ryder Cup. You've thrashed the Europeans. Get on with it. Enjoy the party. Have a ball. But to do, to be seen to be visibly chugging beers on the first tee when the Ryder Cup's not done, I just thought that was, I just thought that was a bit rubbish, to be honest. Yeah, that's so, done like Justin Thomas because yeah. what you said before, uh, he's right. He's a lovely guy. He really is a very nice guy. And what a yeah. player. You know, he's, he's the ultimate professional golfer, really. And he's just made a couple of mistakes. And, uh, you know, he comes from, he's got great parents and everything. But, you know, they, they got it on camera. And uh, well, I suppose, you know, when you're doing that, you know it's going to be on camera. It's the Ryder Cup, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, anyway, that was – but look, take nothing away from the performance. It was standout from the US team, and they fully deserved that victory. Uh, should, we, um, should we introduce this month's guest? Do that, yes. One of my favourites. Well, delighted to say that our special guest on this week's Sturkers and Radar podcast is David Howell, or Howler as he's better known. Worked with him a couple of weeks ago, Ryder Cup Breakfast. And uh, great to have you with us, Howler, live from Madrid. Lovely to join you. Good morning, Radar. Hello. I'm in marvellous Madrid. Bloody marvellous. When are you going to Casa Paco? 
Uh, that's a good question, actually. I might get the lads uh, involved on that. Maybe Friday night. That sounds good, doesn't it? Bit of Vino Tinto and a nice steak, indeed. Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't understand what Casa Paco <laughs> is. It's a marvellous restaurant. The old fellow who used to own at Casa Paco, he was about three feet tall. And you used to walk in there and you'd have this white outfit on. Lovely, man. And all you can get in there is steak, salad and jockey's whips. And I'll tell you what, no one's going to disagree or get upset about that. <laughs> Do you know, actually, as you mentioned it, I think the last time I was there, I was with you and Boxall, funnily enough. Oh. And uh, it was a quiet night. We, there was only five bottles of red that went down because it, it was a tournament night. Yeah. yeah, it was a tournament night, so we had to behave. You, Boxall and Radar is quite a dangerous combination, it has to be said. <laughs> Uh, listen, Howard, let's kick off. We uh, obviously, as I said, worked together at the Ryder Cup brunch at the weekend of the Ryder Cup alongside a beef. And it was it was fantastic to have you both in studio. Lots of discussion. Just obviously this this episode of Sturkers and Radar, we're really focusing on the Ryder Cup. Just want to get your thoughts now. I know we talked a lot that weekend, but, you know, a little bit of time's been removed now. You've been following some of the media reports. What are your kind of main thoughts now as you look back on the success of the the US team and I guess the challenge ahead for the Europeans moving forward. How do you kind of look at it now, a few days removed from, from what happened at Whistling Straits? I think it was more, as much a story of the success of the, the US side this time around as a, any abject failure by our boys. I mean, um, they were incredibly strong on paper. They ended up incredibly strong on the grass as well. They played um, just, you know, just sublime goal for the US team. Steve Stricker was an amazing captain clearly, and a very quiet captain, I thought, you know, sort of behind the scenes, obviously got everything right, got his picks right, got his pairings right, um, didn't put a foot wrong at all the entire week, um, and was very much sort of out of the limelight as a captain, really, I thought, which was very interesting. We talked so much about the captaincy of these matches uh, over the last sort of 10 or 15 years, and Steve did it in his way, and he did it absolutely brilliantly. You know, from a European perspective, um, they, obviously they were up against a mighty team. Um, uh, Podrake had to get absolutely everything right. I don't think there were many failures, shall we say. Um, you, when you lose, you can always question a couple of the pairings. Um, you know, Tommy Philly would have played a little bit more in the it, maybe a Fortins match, for instance. Uh, but on the whole, I don't think there was much that the European side were going to be able to do this time to, to change the result. Maybe they could have snuck another couple of points if Epidemic had gone absolutely perfectly. But quite simply, they were they were up against an incredibly strong side. And I wasn't there. I know Wayne was, was over there. Um, but it did seem like a very difficult atmosphere to play in as well. Um, very little to, to sort of uh, feedback-wise when things went well, hitting five irons to, to 10 feet and hardly, hardly a ripple of applause. Yeah, that's difficult circumstances to play in as well. And um, it was still a, a COVID rider cup from that sense as well. And it was it was difficult for the lads. So um, it was just the way it panned out, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Now, Howla, I think one of my, always one of my favourite things, as well as you being an astute pundit when you come into uh, <laughs> the, the Sky Sports studio, and I know you're quite keen to do a little bit more media work over the next few years, as well as continuing to play. But your stories, Howla... I mean, Radar's, you know, Radar's pretty famous for his stories, but Howler's stories are pretty legendary. And you told this one on brunch, but for anyone who's missed it, and I've heard this numerous times, but it's still one of my absolute favourites. So you played two Ryder Cups, 04 and 06. Could you share with our listeners who maybe haven't heard this, and if, you, if they have, I'm sure they want to hear this again, the Eamon Darcy story, please, because this is, this, is, um, this is podcast gold. <laughs> wow, yeah, the Eamon Darcy story. Well, that comes from 2004, my first Ryder Cup. I'm a rookie. And um, I'm in poor form, basically, and maybe a little bit of anxiety, a bit of stress in the build-up. Whilst I've made the team, so I'm obviously playing well in the two or three weeks leading up to it. My what game I had seemed to seem to disappear, and in the practice rounds in Oakland Hills, I was I was really poor. So we get to Thursday afternoon, we're about an hour before the opening ceremony, and I've got no game. I've just got nothing. So there was one a, a one-hour slot to manage to nip to the the practice area which was on the fourth tee, I think, off the ladies' tee on the golf course because the practice ground was being used for the opening ceremony. So I dashed down there with my coach, Clive Tucker, and on the on route, I, I said, well, well, you know, what do you think? He says, well, do you want the truth? I said, well, it seems like a good place to start. And he says, I've never seen you swing it worse. I said, well, that's really not what I wanted to hear. He said, well, you told me to be honest. So uh, 
I said, well, great. I said, well, we've only got an hour to, you know, to turn this around. He said, well, let's be honest. I don't think you're going to play tomorrow. You're certainly not playing tomorrow morning. So we've definitely got 12 hours. He says, but we, can't, we haven't got time to get technical. So I'm going to give you an image. He says, can you picture Jack Nicklaus's golf swing? And I said, well, vaguely. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm only 27. Jack's a bit before my time. He said, well, what traits do you know about Jack's uh, swing? I said, well, he had a big hip turn. And from what I can recall, he had a famous sort of flying right elbow. He said, exactly. He said, you're tight and you're narrow with your, with your arms at the top. Your right arm is almost stuck to your chest. You need to get some space and some room. So I want you to picture Jack Nicklaus's swing. So I say, well, I haven't really got a clear image. I said, but I do know another player who, um, who had a very famous flying right elbow, and that's someone I know a lot better, a good old Eamon Darcy, lovely Irish player, Ryder Cup legend. Uh, and you know where this is going, Radar, but it's Eamon, God bless him, brilliant player that he was, he hasn't got the kind of swing that you'd probably want to try and copy uh-huh. in the nicest possible way. <laughs> so, so anyway, I stand up there with an A-time and Clyde's got his video camera and I'm just summoning my inner Eamon Darcy and I'm trying to fly my right elbow as high as I can always trying to get it above my head and it feels absolutely horrific and I turn around and Clyde says how does it feel? I said well horrific and I said how does it look? He says it looks amazing so the shots were kind of average they were okay maybe slightly better and um, so that, in essence, is how I ended up playing my first round of golf as a Ryder Cup player. I, I tried to swing like Eamon Darcy, oh. the only person in the history of golf who's tried to copy Eamon's action. And that's what I put to the tee, uh, actually, on Saturday morning rather than Friday afternoon. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, as intimidating a round of golf as I've ever had, I think, with this completely new swing thought, feeling horrific. And somehow, for... Sort of whatever it was, 18 holes of my life, it kind of worked and I managed to win a point. So, uh, um, yeah. God on. bless Darcy and you got in the next Ryder Cup team as well, Howler. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, just amazing. Can you imagine, Radar, just trying to swing like someone else in the Ryder Cup? It's madness, really. But somehow it, 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 it worked yeah. out. But uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of terrifying. Bloody brilliant. Eamon Darcy, eh? Uh, what, a, what a legend. It's not, he used to say to caddies, everyone, it's not your fault, mate. It's my fault for employing you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was brilliant when he aimed and you just never quite knew where you were with him. He had a lovely sense of humour, which always ended if he'd say good shot, but there'd always be something on the end of it. Good shot there, mate, he says, but you didn't quite catch it, did you? There was always a little <laughs> there was always a little put down to keep you on your toes. Yeah, just keep you going. Amazing. I love that. Day before the Ryder Cup, 2004. Brilliant. One of my favourite Howler stories. Just give our listeners as well a bit of an insight. You're chairman of the Tours Player Advisory Group. And I know we heard a little bit of a, a, a clip from Lee Westwood, obviously talking at the Ryder Cup. How does it work in terms of the next captaincy? And you're, a, you're in a prime position to be able to sort of tell us, obviously, your role with the advisory group, the European how that next captain is, is selected. And a little, maybe a little heads up on who you feel that may be, if you're allowed to say. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that because it's all down to me, of course. <laughs> no, so the uh, um, years ago, the committee um, used to the, the, the tournament committee uh, as a whole used to pick the next captain, but um, it, we ended up with being with so many future captains were on that committee that we we set up. Uh, I think three matches ago, um, we, when we picked Darren Clark. We set up a subcommittee, and that the subcommittee is still in existence. So that is uh, made up of the three most recent ex-captains. Um, so in this case, I believe that would be that uh, Hodrake, Thomas Bjorn, and McGinley, um, a member of the tournament players committee. So that could either be me as chairman, or and I sat on that panel once, um, or another suitable member. Uh, and the chief executive of the tour, Keith Pelly. So it's a five-man panel, yeah. and they yeah. will at some point in the next few months sit down and um, discuss who they think should be the most appropriate next captain, and we'll, we'll go and... Um, well, I guess they will probably find out some four or five people who might be in the running as to whether they are open to being captain uh, you know, for the next match in Italy. Yeah. Um, no point in discussing someone who abjectly doesn't want to take that, that role at this time. Um, and they will sit down and discuss um, who they think the, the next captain should be. So that will happen probably between now and, and Christmas, I would think. It's got to be Westwood, hasn't it? Well, Lee's obviously the one that um, most people uh, thinking sensibly would be the obvious next candidate in, in line. 
but of course, you know, Lee is playing superb golf and he's still, you know, more than capable of York's number one player as we as we sit here and speak. So, um, you know, we want the captain to um, to be the most suitable person, but also at a suitable time for them in their careers as well. It's a big undertaking to become Ryder Cup captain. And, uh, you know, the guys are still trying to, to, to build their, you know, continue their careers at the same time, you know, playing careers at the same time. So it's got a, it's got a fit um, uh, for everyone. Uh, but, of course, Lee is a strong candidate. I think it's going to be very difficult for Lee to say yes, because I don't think, between us, I don't think Lee will make the next team. But Lee is playing well enough to play very well. And we know in, in the past that the Ryder Cup captain doesn't play his best golf during the two years of his captaincy. So Lee, he might go, you know what, I'm not ready for it now. Now, he's not going to get it in New York, one wouldn't think, because you would think Poulter is going to go up against Phil Mickelson, who I reckon is at 99% being captain at best page. Yeah, well, that's an interesting point, but um, you know, all all stuff the committee will will, will sit down and discuss. And as I say, they'll 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 want to find out from uh, yeah, four or five guys. You know, do you think this is a uh, potentially the right time for you to do it? And it, and it could be that that, that um, one of those players, me included, decides decides not. But that's going to be beyond them. As we know, it's the, it's the, you know it's the, the biggest honour that, that anyone from a, a European perspective can be can be given. It's a wonderful thing to do, you know, win or lose. I'm sure Padraig is, you know, still smarting at the way things that went this time round. That really unfortunate, but you know, I'm sure it's still been two of the greatest years of his of his career with you know with with that captaincy sitting sitting with him. And um, you know, it's obviously a, a very difficult thing for for anyone to sort of take themselves out of the running for any match. You know, bearing in mind that you that might leave you open to, to never get any opportunity. So it'll be very interesting to see who, who's happy to put their head above the parapet and say, yeah, yeah I'm ready to do it uh, in Italy. And um, Lee's obviously got a, a bit of thinking to do, uh, along with a few others. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, we'll watch this space. Um, but nice to hear your thoughts on you know, how that process and how it all works. What about your game and career? How obviously the longevity you've had, the success. We've mentioned the two Ryder Cups. As I said, you, you, you know you've done quite a lot with Sky over over the years. What, how do you see the next few years going for you on a personal level? Well, God, I wish I knew. <laughs> I'm still. I'm still when I was 20 over par or something last week at, uh, at Carnoustie in a howling gale, I was questioning, uh, I was questioning my, uh, my what, what I was doing a little bit on Saturday afternoon last week after my partner, understandably, had, had walked in with, with nine holes to go. So bad was the weather. Um, but listen, I, I still love playing and I'm still trying to elongate my, my playing career just as, uh, eat, you know, eke out as much of it as I, as I can. You're a long time, you know, retired and the seniors course, you know, still a few years off for me so whilst I love doing the you know, the media stuff and uh, you know that's a great thrill to, to talk about golf to do things like this it, it's all it's all great fun yeah. at, at heart I am a I, I'm a player and uh, and I want to keep that going just as long as I can and I'm always optimistic you know there's always in this game there's always next week you can find something and uh, and hopefully turn things around a little bit and um, you know I'm going to be on tour next year come what may to, to some degree 15 20 tournaments at a minimum hopefully if I don't have a strong end to this season and uh, it might just be enough time to turn things around again but obviously you know you have to be realistic as well and all things come to an end at some point um, and if I get to the opportunity to, to do some more media work when that time finally comes then of course you know I'll, I'll grab that with, with, with both hands but uh, as we know there's plenty of great uh, plenty of great people on TV you, you, you two included at the moment uh, doing, a, doing a great job so there's probably not even room for me at the moment anyway but uh, I will oh, we'll find room <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, we'll keep trying. Uh, we'll, we'll keep trying on the play front. But yeah, it could be next year that there's a little bit more time for me to do some more, some more TV, and uh, and that will be great if that opportunity arises. Listen, Howlett, I know you're in Spain. We need to. We need to crack on. We need to let you go shortly because I know you're heading out for a practice round. I do want to ask. Um, we do have these two little segments where I guess that we always. Um, we always speak to them about. I'll have a mulligan is one of them. So looking at your career, is there anything that you'd, you'd look back and you'd say, yeah, I'd like to have that again, please? What would it be? Um, <laughs> well, do you know what? I missed a, I missed a little two foot at the week before uh, going to the K Club uh, for the, my second Ryder Cup in 2006. I'd arrived, or two weeks earlier, I'd arrived at the BMW International in Germany and my game was in tatters. 
Um, and so much so, my coach wasn't there at the time, Clive Tucker. And after nine holes in the Pro-Am, I had to send a search party to find Pete Cowan to hang around to give me some tips after the, the Pro-Am round. I mean, I, I just I couldn't hit the green with a, with a nine-iron. I was in pieces. And, uh, and Pete gave me a, a quick tip. And lo and behold, four days later, I ended up with a two-and-a-half-foot putt to make the playoffs. Uh, on the 72nd Ooh. hole um, to join about Stenson oh, and some Donald there's a good, good two or three people in a playoff and I was defending champion and uh, my favourite tournament just about the BMW International and whilst I'm somewhat famed for being a great putter uh, I hit the worst three foot putt you've ever seen to make a playoff I looked I did everything that an amateur does that you do wrong I looked up I hooked it to the left and I missed the playoff uh, by one shot just at a time when my confidence could have been could have done with the boost um, going into the Ryder Cup uh, in a couple of weeks' time. And if I had my chance again, I think quite an innocuous shot, really, just a, a little three-footer to make the uh, playoff. And it's the only one I've ever missed in such a circumstance to, to get into a playoff or to win the tournament. And uh, I would have that one again. And quite simply, I would have just done exactly what I've ever told anyone else when I see them putt, is keep your head down until the ball goes in the hole. And hopefully uh, that, that would have happened. Now I might not want to tour that it was only a playoff, but that one, that one really quite hurt. And um, that sticks in my mind. So I'd taken my on that little putt on the 72nd green in 2006 in Germany. Oh, yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah, I've never seen you miss a putt in real life, Howler. And, um... Oh, beautiful putter. Beautiful putter. <laughs> you don't win, you don't win the WC over there in HSBC in Shanghai, a big event that Howler's won. Uh, people mightn't remember that, but that's a massive win. Your be- was that your biggest win, Howler? Well, that, I'd probably say Wentworth, BMW PGA, to be honest with you. That was my most satisfying moment in golf, I think, when I won there. Uh, Wentworth by five. But beating Tiger in China, um, which sort of started that run, really. My best run I ever had, where I won three tournaments out of 11, I think, which got me into the top 10 in the world, culminating with the BMW International. But that run started with uh, the win in China. Uh, funny enough, it's funny how golf goes. I remember after nine holes, I was playing with Miguel Angel Jimenez, and he was about four under, five under through nine, and I was one over in the first round. And it was late in the, it was the first tournament of the 2006 season, but it was the end of 2005, and I was shattered. And I just remember thinking, what on earth am I doing here? This is just, what am I doing on the other side of the grid? And then, lo and behold, I played the back nine in five or six under or something. And end up winning the tournament, um, you know, four days later. And if you'd asked me on your know, halfway round Thursday, I was, I was ready to go and own. So you, you never know what's around the corner in this game. You certainly do. Very true, very true. And listen, how the final one, um, best golfing friend. We know you love a good story. You've told a couple already on this podcast. Who, who would you say, who's your best mate on tour? And um, could you tell us a, an embarrassing, but I guess fairly clean story about that said person? <laughs> Oh, forget the plane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell this slightly differently than others, maybe. So my best friend on tour, I mean, they've always been, Mark Foster, going back year, we got on tour pretty much in the same time, played amateur golf together. And, and Fozzie, uh, Fozzie you know, was on tour for 20 years, or 25 years probably of my 26 years out here. So he was my probably oldest, strongest uh, golfing friend. But um, I do remember when I first got on tour, actually, I, I, I got on tour one year before Fozzie. So I was uh, on on tour. I didn't know too many people. And I was managed by uh, Chubby Chandler at the time. And I was down in South Africa. And Chubby, um, as was his way, decided to hook me up with a couple of his other players, which was really nice. And he said, uh, go down to the bar at 7 o'clock in the Holiday Inn on the beachfront in uh, Durban. We were in Durban, South Africa. And he says, uh, meet meet Richard Boxall and uh, Derek Cooper um, at 7 o'clock in the bar. So on, off I wandered down. I'm just this 20-year-old kid, and there's Boxy, you know, on his third pint already, and uh, and Coops is on about his fifth, and um, and I get I get befriended by by those guys and Carl Mason, and then of course Radar. You would have been around and about, and um, of all the people to get hooked up with as a 20-year-old, as a you know, um, freshman on the tour, rookie on the tour, it was the the, the hard drinking, um, good fun boys of Boxall, Cooper, Riley, and and Mason. So, uh, so that was quite interesting, which actually, in fairness, culminated with me and the great man Wayne Riley playing in the Perrier Four Ball a few years ago. Oh, don't remember? go there! God, do I remember? <laughs> You're saying about you couldn't hit it, mate. I couldn't. Oh, that was the end for me. Yeah, it was the end. And, and 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 the worst thing was the tournament was in Bordeaux. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I seem to recall we've taken it fairly steady the first couple of couple of couple of evenings tournament wise. But we were we were we, I think we ate once and then we had a couple of nights off and I went out with my mates and you went out with your mates. But we were doing so badly. We both arrived on Sunday morning for round four with the worst hangovers ever. I was feeling pretty bad about myself. I was worried about letting radar down on on day four, and he was in worse shape oh, than me. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah. It was fantastic. Great memories, Howler. You've been a great <laughs> champion, mate. And listen, when you do come and do, do the media, just if, to let everyone know, we know you don't really like on-course commentary because I don't think that's where you should go because there's a chance you'll come and nick my job. <laughs> oh, I don't think there's anyone can take your job. job on-course commentary is not your go. You're better <laughs> in the box. <laughs> In the box is where you want to go. There we go. Right, hang on, I've got, box, I've got box all on the phone now. What's he saying? <laughs> You'll have a lot of people on the phone. Uh, very good, very good. Brilliant. Look, Hannah, we'll let you go. Thank you as always. Always a pleasure. Good luck in Spain this week. Thanks a lot. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully see you uh, on our Sky screen soon. And um, yeah, keep up the good work on and off the course. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, good course for you this week, Hannah. Club de Campo. You'll fancy that. Nice little course. Funny enough, I remember that story when you just started uh, working with Josh Van Sipout on your final ever tournament, Radar. And I saw you in the bar and you said, geez, if I started working with this little Belgian fella 10 years ago, I'd have six majors. He said, I'm going to keep my card this week. Yeah. And I said, you know what? You're right. And you shot 68 first round or something. And uh, and then I saw you... I saw you... <laughs> I saw, you, I saw you the next morning. I said, how are you feeling? And you said, no, I went to Casa Pacos last night. I'm not feeling so good. And uh, <laughs> and you shot 79 or oh. something. And it was, oh, no, and no. It, so you're bringing the memories back. But it was, it, it was no bad Three. thing, because look at the second career you forged and you're brilliant on the TV. And the TV's all the, oh, all yeah. the better for you, pal. So uh, good on you. Good on, yeah. With that, oh, with yeah. that I'll leave you. You too, mate. <laughs> Get into it this week. Cheerio. Bye all. Oh, so good to have Howler with us. He's, he is he is one of my faves, Radar. And yeah, I think he'll stay in the box, though. Don't you worry about that. It won't be after your job. No, no, he's, he's a fantastic guy. What a player he's been and still is. I'm not sure Howler, you know, hits it far enough anymore, but he can still compete. The thing is with Howler, and I'm sure in the top, in the back of his mind, that champions tour over there in the States, I think he'd get a few invites and you never know. He has the yeah. game for that. I know there's a few years to go for him to be 50, but he still has the game uh, to play that Champions Tour. And I think Howler would be a bit like McGinley. McGinley comes and works for us at Sky for 10 weeks. And I can see uh, Howler doing a few more than that, maybe 15, and then playing some seniors golf where he'd be so competitive. Still a beautiful uh, putter and a great chipper, great short game. When he first came on tour, I was obviously older than him. But he lived around the chipping green just by himself. And he used to catch my eye, you know, in the respect of he was that, he's that kid again around here chipping. And I went head to head with him once in the Dubai Desert Classic. And, you know, I came undone. He, he won it very well. He's a real, he's a champion guy and a, and a really good player. And we love his stories, don't we? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone does. He could, and obviously some of the nights out and stuff. I mean, you know, you've shared a few electric lemonades with him, as yeah. you, as we've discussed. So yeah, top guy. This is another another golfing news as well. Just quickly, we've talked so much Ryder Cup, as rightly so, given it's just happened. Caddy splits as well. Obviously, a bit of news the last couple of weeks. Two big splits. First of all, Bubba and Ted Scott radar, and then JT and Jimmy Johnson. So JT is now going to be employing uh, Jim Bones Mackay, who you know very well because he's been on course and he's been part of the Golf Channel team for the last few years. But he's going back as um, as JT's looper. Now, I think that's a really good partnership. But, you know, from the TV side of things, he's obviously had a good few years, but wants to kind of get back out there and get back out on course. Yeah, he's a young man, Bones. Um Fine um, broadcaster, I, 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 but, you know, he's a really good caddy. And I think, They'll, they'll do well together. Well, they already have. The one time he caddied for JT, it, he, he, he did it in Memphis in the WGC, the FedEx, last year, I think it was, and they won. I mean, yeah. yeah. It, it's a great uh, opportunity for Bones and for JT. 
Yeah, I don't know what happened with Jimmy Johnson, who's a great caddy, caddy for Nicky Price, lovely guy. Whether it, I think you'll find it just wore its course. Uh, there wouldn't have been a falling out there. If, if you fall out with Jimmy Johnson, you know, there's something wrong with you, not Jimmy Johnson. He's just a lovely person. So um, I don't know what happened, whether Jimmy just wanted to call it a day. I don't know. But the, here, here we go now. Um, and uh, JT and, and, and Bones, I think that's going to be fantastic. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Definitely. It's like I always think, you know, talk a lot to players about this, the kind of ca- player-caddy relationship, you know, you know this, that it's so much more than obviously just the player by your side carrying the bag and, and giving you numbers and yardages, et cetera. That kind of dynamic now, it's like a marriage, isn't it? That you spend so much time together. You, you guys got to be able to say the right thing at the right time, keep your level emotionally. There's so much goes into that. And I think, like you said, sometimes it, it just runs its course. Bubba and Ted, though, I mean, I don't envy Ted Scott for having, for having Bubba Watson as his boss for 50, I was looking at this, 15 years, Radar. How the heck has Ted Scott managed that for 15 years? You have to be you're understanding, to say the least. Like Bubba, um, you know, he's, 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 he's a different kettle of fish, you know, walking around talking to him with that top shirt button done up. He's sort of like, Bubba, you know, get, get a grip here. It's like, but what a fantastic player to go and win two majors, two masters with him, uh, to carry enough Kleenexes around to rub his eyes when he starts crying at every drop of a hat. You have to be an absolute genius for Bubba Watson. But, you know, things run their course and Bubba getting towards the end-ish of his his career. He's in the he's on the back nine. Certainly Bubba Watson's on the back nine of his career. So who's he going to find to carry his bag around? Well, I don't know. I'm sure he's already found someone. But as I said, you like it's like a marriage, and you've just got to find someone else to marry who's going to carry your golf bag around and keep up, shut up, and just listen to what he's got to say. And then that's what it's all about. You know, a caddy yeah. has to realize when the guy gets up on the wrong side of bed. You've got to be a genius. You've got to be able to read their personality of that day. Caddies, you know, they're unsung heroes, and. Um, you know, bless their hearts, they're, 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 you know, but those, both those caddies, they, they, they'll, they'll find other bags if they want to. Maybe they've made enough coin and they go, I'll see you later. I'm going to yeah. Barbados to, to lay on a deck chair. Exactly. What was your, what was your shortest caddy relationship? What was your longest? Uh, I had a caddy for four years in Gordon Faulkner, uh, really great caddy, but oh, no, I've, I had a caddy for four holes once. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had a caddy for four holes. He forgot my umbrella. And then he got on the lash that night. And it, it rained and he took the, 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 the umbrella back to the, the hotel. I said, you bring that back tomorrow. It was in Scotland, actually. And then all of a sudden, you, you, I, I get the, on the first tee the next day. You know, it starts to rain. I said, oh, mate, you know, where's the umbrella? He says, oh, I forgot it. It's in my room. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's not good. So he lasted four holes and uh, because it just started to hose it down. We're brolyless. <laughs> I would love to but agree. I wasn't the most, I wasn't the easiest guy to caddy for you can imagine the whinging and the no, whining you, you surprised me you weren't the easiest guy to caddy no, for no. I, I was that. probably in the top 10 in the order of merit of being the worst the biggest arsehole to caddy for you know yeah. oh, but you mellowed since then no you're a lovely child. yeah yeah no it's all good now I've got a job now haven't I so it's you know it's all good money's coming in when money was tight I wasn't happy yeah, I bet. I bet. Brilliant. Um, before we go, just reach to the end, a good, bad and fugly for this episode. We've gone big on Ryder Cup. Nice to touch on the caddy splits because that's, that's been a big story recently. And also, Radar, for me, the good, Bryson. I loved seeing him competing in the Long Drive World Championship the week after the Ryder Cup. Now, I was involved in a long drive, a um, couple of long drive events a couple of years ago. I love long drive as a sport. You know, it is kind of seen as a, it's a different sport. Yeah, it's long driving in golf, but it's a sport in its own right. And I thought Bryson going over there to Nevada, where he finished seventh, I think it's elevated the profile of that sport. And I just think it was really cool. I think I'd love to see those guys get, get a bit more media attention. There's some great personalities, amazing what they do. And I'd love to see that sport grow a bit. So I think that was a really good thing that he went and competed. He loved it. He wants to elevate the sport. So I think it was fantastic. I think you're right. I don't think they've tapped into the powers that be in the long drive to what they could actually do yet. I don't yeah. think because 
You don't need a lot of room. Like you could have one of those in the summer in Hyde Park in London. You could have one of those in Sydney down on Circular Quay, aiming them and hitting them under the Harbour Bridge out into the water. You could do so many things with, with, with that long drive stuff. And I, I think we'll see it in the future. It's a great spectacle. You only need about five cameras, don't you? So it's not expensive to do. And if you get the powers, they hit it so far. I mean, they just absolutely melt it, don't they? And it's great. Yeah. I, I love watching it when I'm in the States on the Golf Channel. I love watching the long drive. But there's totally so, agree. Yeah. There's so many places they can take it and they haven't yet. You're absolutely right. I think it's very US-centric right now. And I think, you know, like you said, some of the venues, you have the bright lights, you have the smoke machines. It's quick. It's energetic. It's, they're showing passion. You know, they're all bulked up. They've got their, you know, they've got the muscle tees on, showing the guns. I think it's amazing. I think, yeah, bang on. And hopefully we will see that going forward because I think it's a, a little bit untapped. Oh, it's untapped because even if you, you, you hit it out into Sydney Harbour with the ball landing in the water, fireworks coming out. I mean, so many things can be done and someone should get yeah. hold of it because, honestly, they, they haven't done as much as they should yet. And the, But they will. They will. Especially now he's got on board. So, no, I thought that was brilliant. In terms of the bads, I mean, I know you've got a, a point on this in terms of the Europeans, but I've kind of mentioned that the US behaviour for me, just going back to the Ryder Cup, just, yeah, that bothered me a little bit. But I think you're just, you're bad. You're kind of looking at the Ryder Cup going forward in the European perspective. You're a little bit concerned, aren't you, going forward, next couple of editions? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, I think this team over there in the States, I only think a couple of, a couple of the team will change. Uh, there's a few coming in. It's going to keep a few honest um, I just feel as though the European tour, and this is for the kids over here on the European tour, you've got to stand up now, uh, the youngsters on the European tour. It's time for you to stand up, start winning tournaments, uh, because we don't want to see a one-way street in the Ryder Cup. We want, and yeah, what knows, I'm Australian, yeah, uh, but, but you know, I, I cheer for Europe. This was my home tour. This is where my kids live. This is where I live most of the time now. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Europe, but, You've got to stand up now, the youngsters, and, and, and that's the same in the Solheim. Uh, you know, you've got to, you guys have got to, girls have got to keep that Solheim tradition going because that's fantastic what uh, Katrina B, uh, Matthews uh, Beanie did uh, as a captain. I'm a bit disappointed that she didn't uh, want it again. Three times would have been marvellous, but it's time for the, for, you know, for the youngsters, the Hoy guards, all these guys, Fitzpatrick's, the, the Tyrrells, they're going to be there for a while now and um, it's time to, to stand up and, you know, it's time that Europe needs you. Definitely. Well said. And for me, just the fugly, I know you said you thought the fans were okay and I know on the whole they were, you know, you were there, you got a first-hand look. I just was a little bit, in terms of the fugly situation, um, Shane Lowry, I think, said it. He, there was a couple that were a little bit fruity and I think when they start berating or having a go at the players' wives or girlfriends I'm just like that's it for me that's just not cool so I didn't like some of the reports particularly from Shane when he came back and spoke to the media about a couple of the US fans so I just think I just we don't need to see that again no and if Shane's having a wins that's another one you know one of the nicest guys in the world it must have been yeah. bad but I, I didn't see that so I, I take his word for it it would happen but yeah, I saw a lot of good stuff. Sure, I saw a lot of uh, dodgy stuff that I gave the evil eye a few times. Um, but, you know, it, it's Ryder Cup. Isn't it? When you get 50,000 people in there together, it's inevitable after a few sources, you know, things like that are going to happen. And it'll happen in Italy. Didn't seem to happen in Paris, did it, Sarah? No, and I think, you know, it's all right. It's, we can be a little bit biased saying that, but I think a European Ryder Cup, our fans do seem to be a bit more respectful. I think there's a, there's a, and it's only a small percentage, small percentage. And we see it on the PJ tour as well. The kind of mashed potato brigade who get, yeah, a little bit, a, a few, few too many electric lemonades down yeah. them. And they just, they just lower the tone. It just kind of, they just, it, it's just not cool. And I think, I do think our, the behavior of our fans on the whole is just, is great. You know, we're, we're passionate, we're cheering our, our home team, but we're not going to be disrespectful to the opposition. And I think there's a small portion in the US that become disrespectful to the opposition. And that's just, uh, that's not good. So we don't want that. I tell you what is good that the Dunhill's back uh, last week with the celebs up there and the amateurs. Celebs obviously get a free ride in that, that you know, they get a, a, a nice gig um, from Johan Rupert, who's unbelievably good as a sponsor of this, uh, of the European tour. 
But um, nice to have the amateurs back to be able to go and pay and play with pros on Kings Barnes, Canoosti and Tuart St Andrews. If you if you really want a good weekend and you've got a few quid, you know, get on the get with the program next year because that Dunhill Leagues is just some special event. It's lovely to see our golf back, and there's room for another one of those. There's room for another tournament. I think we could do two on the European Tour where the amateurs and celebs can play with the pros. Where and when I don't know, but um, that's so successful that 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 Dunhill Leagues. Um, it was just a blast next year. And if you, as I say, if if, if you've got a few quid. Try to get in because it'll be the best. And, you know, it's a great present for the hubby, ladies. If it's their 50th or their 60th, get them in that championship. It's a great present. Now, you know, as I said, if you've got a few quid, if you skint, you need not apply. <laughs> it would be your celebrity choice, playing partner. Oh, uh, I don't know. I I, I don't know. Uh, have, you played, have, you so, have you played with Warnie in that? Have you played with Warnie in that? Yeah, well, I play with Warnie. I'm playing with Warnie yeah. tomorrow. I don't need to play oh. with Warnie. I'm there. Uh, it's like, <laughs> shame, but Warnie, yeah, he's off. I play with him. He, I say, what's the handicap, Warnie? Oh, 8.8. I'm like, what? What? That, so do you get eight? No, no, I get nine because 8.8 is closer to nine. Oh, mate. <laughs> It's the he loves it. He absolutely adores golf, and uh, yeah. they all do. These guys up at Sunningdale, it's they're all up there. They just moved from Sunningdale and Queenwood up to, the, you know. But there's, that's a great question. Who would I love to play with? I think I'd love to play with Huey Lewis. It'd be pre- it'd be pretty good. Um, <laughs> Catherine Zeta Jones wouldn't be bad. Oh, there you go. I could imagine. I'd like to see that. I could imagine that. That's a good shout. Hugh Grant. They all get up there. He'd be funny to play with. I reckon. Oh, Flopsy. I was played with him a lot. Yeah, they're big mates. They are big yeah. mates. Who would you like to play with? That is a good question. It's got to be Michael Jordan. Do you reckon we could get him over for that? Oh, he, he'd come. I'm sure they've they've asked him. But that'd be amazing. He was at the Ryder all Cup. Like, he was everywhere at the Ryder Cup with his own. Or like Andre Agassi. I think he's a king golf. I'd love to. I know he doesn't play in the Dunhill, but I think he's obviously king golf. Massive. I'm a massive tennis fan, massive Andre Agassi fan. So, yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd be a good one, I think. Yeah. It's, it's a really... Uh, to see them in their own... Um, the, the, these these, uh, these stars in, in playing golf with humbles people. And, and that's why yeah. our game is the best. It is. Listen, I've just... We're going to head off in a minute because you've got the, you've got the builders in, haven't you? I heard a bit of... Yeah, they're, they're pottering around here, the builders, yeah. All right, chaps, I'm not getting cups of tea for you. Have you made them a bacon sandwich oh, yet? Oh, not yet, no. Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I hope the DIY goes well. Yeah. Listen, I've missed you. I missed you out of the Ryder Cup, but nice to catch up again. Uh, so that's it, folks. Episode five of Sturkers and Radar Uncut. It's been a blast as always. Sturkers Radar on Twitter, Sturkers and Radar Pod on Insta. Thank you so much for listening. This episode brought to you by Pig. Play your best. has been a Monkey Pants Productions podcast. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.